Hello and a very warm welcome to the Minter Dialogue, episode number 549. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. A proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network, which is growing and has a lot of really interesting podcasts to check out. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, go visit their site, evergreenpodcast.com. So this week's interview is with Sally Henderson. Sally is a high-stakes leadership mentor, creator of the Real Method Framework to address challenging leadership issues of transformation, growth, and development. And in this conversation with Sally, we discuss the definition and importance of the qualification of high-stakes leadership, how to deal with the pressures and the mental health issues at the top, creating trust in a professional setting, as well as purpose, meaningfulness, and the power of conversation at work. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. And if you have a moment, I urge you to go and drop in your rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Sally Henderson. I, I'm, I don't know, but after 600 or so episodes, I think you might be the, my first Yorkshire lass, as they uh-huh. say. <laughs> <laughs> Sally Henderson, you're an expert in high-performance senior teams, and I wanted to have you on my show to talk about leadership. In your own words, Sally, who are you? Oh, thank you, Minta, and I'm so thrilled to be here. Uh, I am a proud Yorkshire lass. Um, the northern roots are definitely in my DNA, um, but I love the fact that you know I, I see myself as someone who Yes, I'm from the north, but I, I love multicultural. I love getting out there and just experiencing people of all shapes, sizes, beliefs and, and walks of life. And that that has led me to a, a focus and an absolute passion for high stakes leadership mentoring. So professionally, I have my own global high stakes leadership mentoring practice. And personally, I'm a wife to David, a mum to two amazing boys. And also my third child, my tufty child is Rolo, our Romanian rescue, my eternal toddler. It sounds like lots of masculine alternatives in the house. Yes, that's very true. That's very true. Well, um, which might be an interesting starting point, but let's start with high stakes. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very intriguing title, high stakes leadership. What is high stakes leadership as opposed to low stakes and what difference does it make? So for me, the high stakes piece came from when I was really working out how to talk about what I do, Minter, and and how the people I love to serve and in what situations. And I worked with a a fantastic guy called Felix Velarde, who helped me to just really craft the language. I know Felix. Yes, I thought you did. So he, he was the person who really helped me come up with that positioning. And we were talking about what I loved from my previous career as a headhunter where I always say one of the good ones when I mention that, uh, full of integrity and just doing what's right. But what I loved about headhunting and what I was missing in the classic definition of coaching was the fact that in headhunting, there's jeopardy. You know, something's happened, there's time bound, there's clear results that have to be delivered and you will either succeed or fail. It's very clear in, in results and value. And so when I was chatting through with Felix, he came up with that definition actually of, well, you like operating, Sally, when the stakes are high, don't you? I said, yes, actually, I really do, because I think we we forget to our peril that senior leaders are human. 
They have finite resources, not infinite. And they have emotional challenges, um, limited bandwidth. And they are constantly in situations of jeopardy, fast decision making, loneliness, and having to make the right call, big bets in a world that is also incredibly challenging, has been for been challenging relentlessly over the last, say, five years. And so I thought, yeah, I can help there, Minta. I can help and bring in calm, candid counsel, be the objective voice, and to use the cliche, be the safe space. Because when the stakes are high, it means you've got to take decisions that you have to back 100%. You can't half make a decision to change the company's direction or fire a significant senior leader or hire a significant senior leader or also put your own reputation on the line to stand up for something in the public domain as a leader. You know, so for me, high stakes means there's change afoot. It's not business as usual. And there's some significant pivot moment happening in either a team, a business or an individual leader's moment in time. And that sometimes can be very fixed and one-off. And sometimes it can last over years if a company is going through rapid, rapid growth. But high stakes means there's something that really matters, that's fundamental, that the leader is having and the team is having to make happen in the most effective way. And I can come in and support that. So if I, the way my mind was processing what you said, Sally, it feels like it's, there's an element of, of binary yes or no. You can't half hire somebody. Mm. And if you go about half asked on a project, unlikely to succeed. So it feels it's more like all in, all out. Is yeah, that you've another got to, way of saying it? You've got to commit. Like you know, that famous saying, jump and the net will appear. Well, jumping when you're the CEO of a major business <laughs> or the CMO or any senior um, leader or owner in your own right you're constantly having to jump and, and just make decisions because if you don't, you'll fall over, you'll get left behind. And also, you know, let's not forget back down to simple grassroots. You can't be a leader if no one's following, mm. <laughs> no matter the scale of your organization. And that comes down to decisiveness, having a point of view, being different in a crowded world. And perhaps, you know, this world is more crowded than it's ever been before. And nobody quite knows what's true anymore, do they, in terms of the mm. fake news thing that's happened to us in recent years. So I think knowing that you are clear, confident and committed, both practically and emotionally around change and the rationale for that and what it's going to take to deliver. That's a lot, hey, that's a lot mm. to ask of anybody and any team. And why would we expect them to do it on their own? You, know, you wouldn't expect an Olympic athlete. I know it's a cliche. I am the queen of cliches, Minta. I say that on podcasts. But you wouldn't expect an Olympic athlete to just go out there and be amazing and have all that knowledge automatically at their fingertips because they're not a specialist in high performance, ironically. Mm. An Olympic athlete is especially specialist in their own talent, mm. but only to a limited level. So they would never be Olympian without the right team of experts around them because they simply wouldn't have that ability to compete against mm. others who do have those teams of experts around them. So no, it's not a fair playing field at all. Um, but if we're expecting high performance, that isn't organic. It doesn't just happen. It can be, it, it's going to be there. It's got to be there as raw talent. It does. Um, but you can definitely sharpen it, boost it, accelerate it and refine it. So my mind goes to a conversation I was having with a uh, world record holder uh, of the four by four relay. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, a friend called Jean-Charles Trouval, 
and um, we were talking about getting into flow mm. because with, within the, the, well, and of course there's a whole team. First of all, there's a relay in this case, and then there's the, the coaching and the, the person who's doing nutrition and, and all these other things that get into making that performance in the ecosystem work. But there's with knowledge of myself, but this is other thing of getting into flow. To what extent do you talk about that with your, with your clients? I don't think I use that exact language, but it's all around. Um, I think I, I sort of say it in a slightly different way, but I think it's the same thing. To me, it's around being two things at work, no matter the challenges, no matter the, the goals. It's to be happy and effective. And I think where flow becomes unstuck, uh, especially around leadership, is because either someone is focusing so wholly on efficiency they forget mm. to enjoy it <laughs> mm. or they focus so much on their emotions. They don't equip themselves practically to have the right techniques and strategies to be ahead of the change curve they're leading. Mm. And for me, that magic moment comes when your emotions as a leader and a team are mm. aligned, healthy and effective and not out of date. Cause normally when people are leading, they haven't got any time to go inside and assess how they're feeling about something. And I always say to my clients time and time again, we forget we are animalistic beings. Okay. <laughs> at the end of the Amen. day, yeah, Amen. we're quite primeval and you can smile at someone and want to G them up. But if you're feeling worried, you've lost belief in what you're trying to lead, but you know, you have to follow the big companies, um, you know, guidance or, but if you're not authentic, that word we were chatting about before people feel it, they just know. Because we have this lovely gut instinct that we are trained out of, weirdly, in modern mm. society. Indeed. It's like, go and find data, go and find facts. What, what about yeah. feeling? Mm. <laughs> you know, That's our instinct, isn't it? Mm. So I think if you're feeling great, and I'm not talking about Disney and clapping and, oh, look, a dove's just flown by, isn't it wonderful? <laughs> but, but truly feeling alive, aligned, and really able and you have that practical knowledge of what does that mean in the real world? Hence, my methodology is called the real method because it's about let's just keep it to the real world, not all theory. Um, I think if you're aligned emotionally and practically, your skill set is up to date and effective and relevant. You have flow. Hmm. I love that. So um, it reminds me of another conversation because we're talking about happiness and, and um, my friend Matt Phelan. Uh, he runs the happiness index and we've oh, had yes. long, long, long debates around the word happy. Uh, and then, and I generally have a frown when I talk about happy because of, I, you know, it's just a term, it's a word and how you want to describe it, but it, it seems to be a little bit ephemeral, uh, the happiness thing, whereas sort of profound joy or some deeper level is, is what we are, of course, in what he's talking about is that deeper level. But then I was chatting with someone about the power of the smile mm. and, and, and how disarming <clears throat> excuse me, it can be, how beautiful it is. And in the animal sense, it's very instinctual and, and, and has such a power. And, and then the thought is, well, can we, can we have that smile, that legitimate, beautiful smile, and underneath be anything but happy? Not when it's true. No, I think, you. well, here's the thing. Happy is quite an all-encompassing statement, isn't it? Mm. And I don't think it's binary, actually, in mm. that, well, I'm happy, therefore I am. <laughs> you mm. know, you can be happy in pockets 
as well. So I'm, you know, we talk about joked about me being a northerner, but funnily enough, when I first came to that there London, and everyone was telling me, oh, it's so scary and unfriendly, and it's not like the north, and people don't smile and people don't say hello. And I thought, I said, well, that's not how I find London. Mm. I was like, I I find London quite friendly actually, because I, I smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's in me to want to smile and, mm-hmm. and connect with my fellow human. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how you meant to, but when someone gives you that authentic smile, and it might just be a glance in a lift, on a staircase, someone mm-hmm. passing by. Mm-hmm. But it, here's when I think a smile has the chain, the, the power to transform. It's when you feel seen, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's when someone smiles into your soul almost, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they are truly acknowledging, even for a nanosecond, another human has and it's even more amazing when an animal makes eye contact with you because they've got more choice about that i think well, um, they wag their tail too exactly exactly but you just feel seen and you feel connected and i think in this crazy world we live in currently people are so not feeling seen and they are so not feeling connected but even more interestingly from my perspective around high performance leadership they're not seeing themselves first and foremost and they're not connecting from the inside first and foremost. Mm. So then that makes it nigh on impossible for them to achieve that with others. Mm. That makes total sense. So I want to circle back, Sally, to this notion of, of high stakes versus low stakes. Mm. In, the, in the way you described it, if I were to intuit the difference is the, the level of stress that's involved with the stakes that are at hand. Well, stress is one potential outcome. I mean, my job is to take the stress element away as much as possible because I think... Here's, the interesting thing about physiology, isn't it, that excitement and stress are the same. It's mm-hmm. physiological, physiologically, I can just about say that, um, it's your it's your interpretation, it's your belief system. Mm-hmm. So you can have two leaders in hashtag high stakes situations, one thriving and telling their friends and family how amazing it is and they're growing and they're developing mm-hmm. and the team's rallying around and we oh, I can't believe we overcame that. I never thought we would, but we did and the team was amazing and oh my gosh and da 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 and they're, they're just happy about it they're, they're motivated they're they're lifted by the challenge now sliding doors effect you could have the same situation exactly the same situation but a different leader oh god it's hard yeah. <laughs> it's stressful they can't get the team connected um it's nothing but barrier after barrier it seems elusive we're so close but i really don't think we're ever going to break through I feel like giving up it. it, And again, I'm being quite black and white with those two analogies, but the situation hasn't changed. It's the experience. It's the interpretation. It's the mindset. It's the active choice one makes about how we engage with stress. And is it actually stressful or is it exciting? Mm -hmm. And I think we've kind of fallen into this weird, weird habit of needing stress to be successful. You know, this whole imposter syndrome, um, industry that has grown mm-hmm. and it's almost like it's a badge of honor to to have have weakness to go oh here's my imposter syndrome they're called barry <laughs> we mm. t- i talk to barry every day uh, it's, all, it's like well how about focusing on your strengths how about focusing on, on what you can influence um rather than looking internally for all the flaws and the weaknesses and the things you have to overcome and the things that might unravel you at any moment and i think we've kind of indexed too far into stress and worry and doubt and you know i think the vulnerability piece is really brilliant but again it's all about waiting and balance and if if we hang out in vulnerability too long we can just get a bit kind of stuck in that in that you know revolving doors and also i think 
we we can't forget how the world has been changing so significantly over well I guess, I guess forever actually I was talking to someone else who was comparing this chapter of business to when the miners strike was happening the three day week was happening and and I was like oh god yeah actually that was pretty stressful for that generation wasn't it mm. so again it's really interesting how your perspective can change but we've just got used to being in worry and stress and difficulties and and that has had a toll, but we can we can make the mistake, I think, of always looking for what's wrong rather than going, well, OK, you are vulnerable. And in COVID, it was important to show that it was important to really dial that up because that ripped up the rule book and everyone got a shock. <laughs> and to some people, to the most horrific extent of that. But I think we can't now just keep that pattern for this current market because it's different. And I think if a leader or a team constantly share about their their vulnerability, the people who want to follow them and need certainty might be like, oh, my God, have you got your got your act together? <laughs> Can you actually mm. do this? Really? So, again, I'm not saying be fake. I'm not saying don't be authentic. Absolutely the opposite. But I also think be clear on how to dance that dance, you know, mm. and when it's right to share because it is right to share. But when also you have to lead and you have to be the one who goes, I've got this and follow me because it will be safe. So if I were a little cynical, I might say, it sounds like you have to have a vulnerable stiff upper lip. Potentially, Minter, potentially, because I think you need both. I tr truly exactly. do. Um, and there is no right nor wrong. So again, I'm being quite black and white in how I'm positioning it on our chat, because I also do like to be a bit provocative, because I think, again, you know, you can't be vanilla in this world. Um, and we were talking about the art of debate before we started mm -hmm. recording. And and I think that's been lost around just debating, oh, well, is it a stiff upper lip or is it vulnerability? And it doesn't mean that you're suddenly, you know, out of camp or in camp, but you can have a, a dance with it and go, well, I have the range. And I think that's an important word, actually, in leadership and high stakes and high performance is your range. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely appropriate sometimes to be 100% over towards the vulnerability dial because that is the right thing. It's right for you, it's right for the team, and it's just bloody honest. Okay, mm -hmm. And sometimes you may not even have a choice about that. <laughs> it mm -hmm. might just be the needed human response. It comes out. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, and it shouldn't be encouraged in the right way. And that's, again, where my role comes in because I'm like, how are you, really? Because with me, mm -hmm. there is no agenda. You can just be you. But let's not forget, leaders, when they're working in their businesses, people always have an agenda. And that's fair. That is fair. So then we get, oh, be really vulnerable, but at the same time, then still manage everyone's agenda the next day. <laughs> that's quite difficult, isn't it? it <laughs> but is. also at the range, you have to be able to go the other way to be able to say, look, these are difficult decisions. Not everyone's going to like them. However, it's my job to take us through this and I'm going to do that. And that 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 is that is not the time to be potentially vulnerable about that. Mm. Mm. So again, right it's now? it's the range. And and that's what I think we've lost the art of in terms of society and conversations and connection is embracing range because mm. it seems to be, especially on Twitter slash X, not that mm. I'm very big on that world at all, but whenever I d dive into it, it's like, wow, there's no range here. Mm. It's like you're in the black or the white camp, yeah. red, or, red or yellow camp. Um, mm. And even that, people say, can't believe you use those colours, Sally. <laughs> what about what about neon blue? Oh, God, sorry, I forgot neon blue. <laughs> Poor neon blue's ego has been dashed. You see what I mean, though? You can't say anything because someone's mm. out to have a really, you know, one end of the agenda or other end, and they're not open to debate. And I think that's mm. a lost art. Yes. Uh, that, for me, the word that hit, strikes me is nuance. I, I do love this term of, of range. 
Mm. So going back to your the the two mindsets that you were talking about with regard to high stakes leadership. Mm. Which is your favorite client? The the one who is you know excited and going for it, or the one who's down in in the dumps? Oh, if only that simple, Minter. <laughs> I'll go through my quick survey, and I will find. <laughs> yeah. No, I I welcome all of it. I have a saying that personally, I'm not here to fix the broken birds. Yeah, that is not my skill set, nor where my my purpose in the world is best best put to action. I'm here to take your best and make them better. You know, your top high performance talent who will have those broken bird days, mm-hmm. but it's not their overall current reality of state constantly so the range that i work with my clients is amazing so with some clients we stay very in the practical it's all about just equipping them to be that high stakes team or leader um with others we go into what i sometimes very technically term my woo woo side (laughs) okay where it's all about emotion beliefs doing body work, how are we holding emotion in our bodies? How's that infecting how you show up in the world? Not just as a leader, as a human. I was talking with one client recently who is the most incredible CEO with the most incredible fast track success story, only getting better on a real pivot moment of like boom, global. And what's fascinating is I believe that you don't need nor want to be your whole self at work all the time. And I'm a great fan of boundaries and distinction and that it's really healthy to have a personal identity and a professional identity and know how to cherry pick between the two. So I said to this client, I said, your professional identity as CEO of this business is on fire. Like you are a game. Whenever you show it with me, it's a pleasure to work with you. I love what, you know, the pace and the 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 range that we cover in our work is astounding and the way your performance is growing is astounding what's interesting if you swap to the personal side this is not gender specific personal side you have you are not investing the same amount of attention and growth around your personal identity so that part of yourself is causing friction because you're not having conversations back at the ranch around how this professional growth is going to impact domestically And how you are having those conversations is as a CEO. So there's no wonder your partner is not responding as you might be expecting because Mm. they are not your employee. (laughs) Mm. And they hadn't even realized that this was what was happening in their world. And so we were able to go there, unpick it and create strategies that would A, maintain that amazing growth professionally, but also enable the personal side to be in congruence and to be in balance so that one was not at conflict with the other, which at senior high performance levels is often sadly the case. Mm. So when I work with my client, yes, I always come through the lens of leadership and works. I love that interaction and that pivot point between business and people, human mm. leadership, job, you know, business objectives, strategy. You know, that's where I play. I could not be a life coach. I'd be too like, what does it mean in the kind of your career and your business? Um, but equally, I won't stop where the human comes in. Uh, And even in one client, and this is a long, long time ago, we were talking, they were about to become a CEO in an entrepreneur-led, highly successful business with quite a demanding founder, because founders often are demanding, let's be honest. That's why they're a founder. And they were talking a lot about their wife. And they just had, um, they had a baby, they had a toddler and a baby on the way. And they were very concerned about not 
being able to maintain the role of husband and father in balance with the role of CEO, which was very enlightened to even be thinking this. I mean, a lot of people just go forward and go, I'll make it work. And I said, look, we're talking about your wife a hell of a lot on her behalf. Shall we just get her in? Mm. And he said, would you do that? I said, well, instinctively, I kind of feel that's the right thing. And this was in Soho Square back when I used to have um, a room there. And the mother-in-law was literally walking the baby around Soho Square whilst I worked with my client and his wife on how their rhythm was going to maintain domestically the, the success professionally. And we had one session and we sorted it. So I don't do that with everybody, by the way. But when I'm working with my client, it's my job to spot what they're needing from me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's their entirety. And there's some clients who have deep emotional trauma that they're holding in their self which they have really successfully as an adult quashed and put down, but it's it's there and I can see it. That's my skill. I can read people really quickly, quickly in very different levels, sometimes to their absolute astonishment. They're like, how have you learned that about me, Sally, in 15 minutes? I'm like, I can just do it. And sometimes it's very funny because they're like, I went home and told my partner about what you said. And they're like, I've been telling you that for years. <laughs> Um, but it's just wouldn't, about it wouldn't what, be woman's intuition would it no it absolutely wouldn't <laughs> it would just be intuition which men have just as much uh, uh, I'm not so sure about that personally I think some do I think you know oh sure some do of course yeah. but I, uh, I think generalizations what I've been with yeah but this this other client I worked with talking about the emotional side and this and as I say the slightly more woo-woo but it's important and I think that's what often is missing in leadership growth is the EQ and the intuition and the guts and the bravery and the magic side. I asked him one question in our first session, which is from my trust framework. I always have a tool and a framework for pretty much everything. And if not, I create one. And I said, I'm just going to ask you one question. He went, go for it. And a really senior guy, very technical guy in a very technical business. So the least emotive kind of beginning you'd expect to a program together. Engineer. Ish, ish, you know, of that, of, of, a, of a technical world. And I just said, I want to ask you one, two questions. I said, first, I want to ask, do you trust yourself? And I, oof, oof, oh, oof, gosh, it was very, you know, you could see in their body, very uncomfortable. And then I said, and then I just want to ask you this one question. Do you like yourself? Mm. Whoa, psh, tears. Wow. Yeah, just, that was the, that was the lancing the boil. Mm. And just out came all this deeper, very emotive, um, very personal stuff that you might say, well, is that your realm to work on that? And I say, well, listen, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. Um, I have no interest in being, and that's not where my skill set and training lies either, but I know my line. So I will take my client up to the line of which is right for our work, but I will not go where I'm not qualified nor meant to go because it's, I think it's also very dangerous to play where you're not confident. You know how to take someone out and leave them well. You know, so when a client leaves my session, they're going to be, really able to go on and have a great day mm-hmm. we're not okay we unpacked all that good luck i'll see mm-hmm. you next week <laughs> you know it was it's just like vulnerability too much vulnerability can really end up leaving you in the shit it, that's what i mean and, it, and you've got to know how to manage it and, and that's why i get crossed with the coaching courses out there who say oh you know your clients are all resilient and whole at the end of the day and, and you can go off and do a weekend's course and suddenly go off and be you know coaching people and it's like well no you can't actually because when you're in the role that I hold, uh, and many people do, you have incredible professional responsibility and integrity. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. 
Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So Sally, I I think on this personal professional, I mean, my last book, the subtitle was How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. You, you talk about how you should have a professional persona and a, and a personal persona, or at least persona meaning mask, of course, but um, the idea of having two different spheres. And and I, I don't subscribe to being 100% vulnerable, 100% authentic, 100% naked. Of course not. 100% intimate, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a definite line. However, I don't, I don't see how it's possible to be in my challenge piece mm. to be unpersonal uh, to gain ah. trust you see here's so the thing if you, sorry, if you, sorry. If you have the separation between the family which of course happens but who you are as a father who you are as a partner and such and then the the, the boss piece at work and and I, I have a specific recollection of a, of a CEO who won't name him. <laughs> However, he, he would say things like at work. Well, you know, at work, we're a family. Well, at his family side, he had two mistresses, one of whom tried to kill herself oh. because of the way he treated her. And, and that impacted my regard for this mm. individual. Mm. Smart as though he might have been, what an arse as a person. Hundred percent, and that's that's it. That's it's quite funny because when I do sort of bring about this idea of difference and boundaries and separation, people go, "Oh, but you know that doesn't. How can it's a mask?" And I'm like, "Not at all. Not at all. You're hundred percent yourself. It's about your levers and gears." So, you know, I did an ology at A level. If uh, the both who know the British Gas advert. <laughs> more in Littman I got an ology um but I loved sociology as a level because um and I'm just fascinated my whole life around people because what I love was the thing about tribes and in sociology um and I did the Martin S Weinberg nudist management and respectability I can still remember it for my a level and all about how deviants and norms are reinforced in different ways depending in the tribe you're in so for example if you were to go to a nudist colony I didn't think we'd be talking about this on our chat today but if you were to go to a nudist colony and you wear shades that's a very different tribal signal uh than if you were down in the park in normal life and even how you hold your body yeah I went you don't need to go any further but how you hold your body in a nudist colony versus in a park now, the situation, if it's a field and people are sat around having beers or um, soft drinks and some food, the situation is the same. Yet, if it's in a nudist colony, <laughs> it's entirely different than if it's in a family park. OK, mm-hmm. but you're still being yourself. You're just knowing the norms and rituals and deviance that reinforce the codes of conduct that make you part of that tribe. Mm-hmm. OK, so when you're at work, I say to me, look, it's a terribly sad day very genuinely if I'm with somebody and they're exactly the same with me off the bat 
as they are in a work context, as they are with their closest friends and family. Hmm. Because my relationship with them is not as their closest friend and family. Mm -hmm. Like, therefore, my expectations, both subconscious and conscious, are different because mm -hmm. I'm in a tribe that is a work tribe. And I completely agree around the family. I, I say, look, a business is never nor can ever be a family because the rules of engagement are different. And your family, hopefully, should never fire you based on a spreadsheet. <laughs> can you imagine we've just done the sums darling and i'm so sorry but you're gonna have to leave your bedroom because we need to rent it out and actually that means you're no longer our son <laughs> or oh. daughter yeah you'll be like what the hell mm. so let's be celebrating the beauty of difference and that you're still that same person absolutely totally the same person you just know the tribal norms and deviance that you want to dial up or dial down mm. and also how you can then for receive and relax because when you're with your friends and family, that's a different level of intimacy and trust, hopefully, not always, mm -hmm. but hopefully, mm -hmm. than if you're at the board table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and here's an interesting thing, again, which I hope um, brings this point home. When I used to be a headhunter and I get people coming to me wanting to get you know the next challenge. And let's face it, most people don't go to a headhunter because they're so delighted with their life. <laughs> there's something that's not working that they normally want to change and often through the lens of fear and worry which affects how they behave and show up but say it's a ceo okay i used to do a lot of work with senior c-suite folk and i'd be like oh you've got an interview with so and so at when and they'd be like oh god i haven't had an interview for ages and they'd be panicking and worrying mm. and that was fascinating because they're per they're going into that interview as a personal identity mm. that side of them that hasn't had an interview for 20 years because they've always been headhunted da 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 that, that side of their, their self is like, I am so ill-equipped for this. I am so rusty. And I'll say to them, hey, listen, if I was going to say to you, go in and pitch to your favorite client, no matter how challenged that client is tomorrow with your best team, how would you feel? Oh, fine. <laughs> mm. Because that's in their professional self, a habit. And their muscles are really honed and, and to the highest level. But personally, that muscle hasn't been used since they had an interview when they were leaving university. So the minute I would get them to realize, look, you have all these skills professionally, but you're seeing this through a personal brain and that's not helping you. They'd be like, oh, I get it. OK, so it's just about being much more conscious of the elements of your whole being that you choose to have switched on or switched off at any one time. And I think what's going wrong in the world of work and why we have such burnout and such stress is because we are taught, nay, it's expected that we can be anything to anyone at any time. Just mm. ask me. Mm. And it's like, well, gosh, no, if I'm just coming off the school run and it hasn't gone well, probably don't want to have my most important client call in on the drive on the way home. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm not in that mindset. I haven't geared up. No. Um, so it's definitely not about fakery or masking or not being yourself. It's about wholly being yourself, but having that comfort to know that part of me can have a sleep for a while. I don't need to keep that up in my mind to make it accessible at any time, just in case it's needed. Uh, and I think those boundaries and again, since the world changed, even though we had a lot of commuting back in the day and ways of work that were completely not right and helpful, they at least had signals and rituals around tribal change. So you get your train home and you do your email. This is me talking about myself now. I get the train from London to Tunbridge Wells. I'd hopefully get a seat <laughs> back in the day when that was your highlight or absolute hell of your day. Hey, I'd get a seat. I could squish myself terribly into my little seat and, and just gonna get all my professional stuff finished. So when I get off the train, I get a walk back to the house and I come to the house and I'm mum. 
or wife, yeah, or perhaps even just me, <laughs> you know. And I come in and I can talk about things that my my family want of me because I've done I've downloaded my professional self. Mm-hmm. With COVID and the lack of you know those rituals around commuting, often you'd open the door. So I just come off a really wonderful but intense and challenging mentoring session. I'd open the door. What's for tea? <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> Like, mm. just give me a minute. Mm. And that will collide and smash in the face. Mm. Uh, and that's hard and difficult to manage and stressful and out of control. So it's about, so I get people to do what I call a PIPI, uh, Milton, which is where, I mean, sorry, where you um, you create a visual representation of your personal identity. So everything about you outside of work, from a friend, family, that tribal reality, where you're from, what you like doing in your hobbies, the people who mean something to you. Um, and then on the professional side, it's you at work. So what, how, you know, what's your essence, your professional essence when you're at work? So for me, it's around being a motivational speaker, the fact I've created the real method. I love doing away days. I like being the reason someone smiles in a, in their working day, give them the light bulb moments. And then there's a big, massive um, change in neon at the center of that visual board. And then I, and I say, look, that's, and when I introduce myself to new teams or, or when I'm doing a speech, I will say, look, Here's me personally. And I've got a one slide. It's about my lovely mother. And I took her to an incredible restaurant, um, Grave Time Manor, when she'd overcome bowel cancer because she was one of the lucky ones. And I can, you know, I've got a picture for her. And and I would never normally just share that, you know, openly with people because that would be a bit odd. Hello, my name's Sally. And did you know <laughs> uh, we had this experience in our family? Yeah, my mom had bowel cancer. <laughs> yeah, and she survived. So, you know, because um, not everyone has that lucky outcome. Um, mm. But when I'm doing my profession, my personal identity, I can share that about me. And then if anyone has a similar experience, they know that about me and they, we can have that conversation afterwards in the right way. But they suddenly get a massive, quick, deep dive into who I am outside of work without hopefully getting bored because it only takes two minutes. And then when I'm doing my professional self, they can get a lovely flavor of who I am at work. And that side of me. And they suddenly know all of me in a much richer way than if I just stood there and talked at them. And then I say, I've got this really bad, but I love it slide into where I go to the next slide and I go, you've got two columns and you've got space. And then I say, I've got these four really bad classic cherries that pop up. I say, you can then cherry pick from either one. (laughs) And the art is so bad to kind of make the point, but you can cherry pick because then I can, if I'm working with a parent as a client, I can bring that part of myself into our work because it's relevant potentially. But if I'm working with a client who doesn't have children, they don't want that side of me to come into our work. It's not relevant or needed. Mm -hmm. Same if someone's got a dog or not a dog or someone's from the North or not from the Mm -hmm. North or or whatever, or someone's married or not married or whatever it might be. You, you can do a lovely cherry picking between those two parts of yourself without one, you know, scrambling around. And Mm -hmm. I, I just personally find you can show up better when you are clearer on who you are and how those tribal pieces work together and when they also are separate. So it sounds at the end of the day, fairly congruent with this idea of being yourself at work uh, makes you a better leader. Mm. And there's so many, so many things that you talked about, but let's talk about the emotional piece a second, because uh, I'm a firm believer that the development of emotional intelligence happens mostly in the personal sphere where you are at school you're being you're learning how to lose on a pitch uh, you you have emotion of love that is happening at home and and the the conversations that you have with intimate friends where you 
you figure out what is trust at a much more granular level than professional trust, which is, you know, I trust you can, you know, add two plus two and, and get the PL correct. So how do you, let's say, cross those T's as far as the personal and professional when it comes to development of emotional intelligence and trust? Well, funnily enough, I, I have a trust framework that I created um, that I think helps people to understand where they're at. You talk about the happiness index. If we think about an index of where someone is at on trusting themselves, because I think we're too quick to go to the external here, Minta. And how is it with your relationship? Do you trust your team? Do you trust your family? Do they trust friends? But we very rarely ask the question, do you trust yourself? Mm -hmm. And like it's the other and the other question you had was, do you like yourself? Yes. I think it's a very yeah. powerful question. Well, they they are because they're fundamental. And again, I say the real method, my method is all about uh, you know looking at the basics that get overlooked all the time. And you, if you did all the work till the cows come home on an incredible C-suite something or other person, but you don't actually ask them or help them understand if they do those two things of like themselves and trust themselves, then all your work is is um, bottlenecked because mm. they're fundamental to the EQ piece. So when I'm doing the trust framework, I ask people those questions. Um, do you like yourself is the first question. Then I ask them, do you rate yourself? And then I ask them, are you being kind to yourself? And then the last one is, are you looking after yourself? And the index piece is they have a range between one and 10, but they cannot use seven. Because seven is a red herring. Hmm. No one's ever a seven. They're a 6.9 or an 8.1. <laughs> And when you take seven out of the equation, mm -hmm. they can't have it. And they have to make that decision between six and eight. You then get the truth. Because I have a saying, Minter, that the naked truth will always conquer. And that's what we work with. You know, because if the naked truth, someone isn't right for a job. And again, my background as a headhunter gives me an incredible practical talent lens under all the work I do. And that quick decision making muscle and reading lots of the emotional, the practical, the commercial, the intellectual, strategic, all of that. If the naked truth is a team isn't right <laughs> or the person has outgrown their job or they just are bored, but they're too scared to move, you've got to look at that because trying to patch it over or you know get away from the naked truth, you're just bottling up problems for the future. But I think if you, when you get people to do those four questions, especially senior people, What's been funny, what, what's been interesting, not funny, what's been interesting to re see in the last couple of years when I do this in talks and workshops and one-to-one, -one, the first two tend to be on average high in terms of liking self and rating self you know, in the senior leadership world. Not always, by the way. I've had people change their jobs having done this very quick, non-scientific ranking, gone, oh my God, I've got to do something to change because I don't like myself. I don't rate myself. I'm not being kind to myself and I'm not looking after myself that's that's not good but what's been happening in recent years because of the change of ways and working and the we forget the pressure that we've all been under especially leaders relentlessly from one massive disruption to the other so what's scoring very low down at the twos and the threes is am i being kind to myself but especially am i looking after myself and this is where i disagree with simon senek about you know leaders should eat last you should absolutely bloody eat first <laughs> mm. Because if you're not equipped, it's like the classic oxygen mask on the plane. 
which in COVID was not the best analogy to be using, um, and rightly so. But if you're not feeding yourself first, you don't have energy and reserves to look after your people, which is your role as a leader, then you're not of service to them or anyone. So it's absolutely fine to be selfish mm. when it's right. Not not black and white, not binary. Mm. But if you're not able to put your own needs on the table, and this is also around your domestic needs, then no one's winning. Mm. It's, you're what I call a neither either. Yeah, so you're a very quick example. When I had um, my second son, I'll show my age now because I had a Blackberry. <laughs> I loved my Blackberry. <laughs> I'd take him to baby group and I'd be bouncing him in Humpty Dumpty singing away, tapping away on my Blackberry behind his back, thinking, mm. look at me winning, having it all. But I was neither a proper mum present with my baby and in that moment, and that's understandable because sometimes those sessions are really boring, but anyway, <laughs> um, but I wasn't there. And ne so neither was I there or either was I fully present with my clients. I mean, mm. I'm just doing emails, don't get me wrong, but even so. Mm. And that, that kind of, misunderstanding that I was somehow winning when actually I was losing because would it have been terrible to have made those emails wait no it would have been I would have been able to do that True. I was I was lazy with my own discipline under mm. the illusion I was being successful mm. and I really wasn't because I was being a neither either so I think boundaries and understanding what your needs are and how to put your needs in the mix just make you stronger Amen to that. I, I, as I was writing down your scale with one to 10 and no number seven, it made me think of the Boots. I think Boots has a skincare line, no seven. Uh, of course, it means number seven, but it's, it's no seven. But maybe you should go talk to them. Yeah, um, they can sponsor me. <laughs> in, in, uh, I want to finish in uh, this area of uh, safe spaces at work and, and mental health and boundaries and such. Um, the way I look at that term, you taking care of yourself in my world is we say self-empathy, which really means understanding enough of what you need uh, mm. to do that preparatory work, to, to sense your feelings, to see where you are in order to then take care of that, or at least recognize that you're not taking care of it. But now you know that I'm grumpy, or I now I know that I'm not feeling well or or a little bit irritable then that helps me maybe pre you know change things but in work sally um obviously we, we talked a lot about we've talked to, to some degree about loneliness being ahead of a company is you know notoriously uh, a lonely job mm -hmm. and mental health is now a raging problem uh where one quarter of all young people are 18 24 declaring themselves anxious or depressed in the last 12 months hr teams are in the united states there's a survey that said 61 percent of hr professionals have had a, a, a case of anxiety or depression in the last 12 months so it seems to be raging out there mm. and when you're talking to a boss and i was thinking back to your image of this happy boss or you know the one that's energetic and so on there's for me, there's always this piece of what is meaningful about my job to me. In any event, um, how do you go about tackling uh, the mental health issues? And and do is it really about making safe spaces at work? Where, where how do you cross those two? Gosh, well, I think I'd first start by saying I'm not the most authored person to give a 
a detailed answer on that because I can only speak from a lens, not so much as a mentor here, because I think there's a danger again to try and be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. And I am not an expert on mental health and, and specific strategies for that. So I just want to make sure that boundary is clearly, clearly mm-hmm. in place. Well and, and I think it's, um, I think it's, that's the danger to give a, a, a sweeping answer to that because it's all so subjective, Minta. And I think it comes from care and compassion actually. And if you start by wanting to truly help, to truly understand without an agenda, that's when you can start to have the meaningful conversations where you just ask somebody, how are you? And then you can follow up with how are you really? Um, But you've got to have such an integrity around this work. Because if you start going into someone's space and asking them to open up Mm. and share and then you go, well, thank you. I've ticked my HR box of being an empathetic mm. boss and I will mm-hmm. see you next week and we'll talk mm. about your KPIs. <laughs> oh, exactly. You're actually doing more harm than good. Mm-hmm. I always say to my clients, um, if you're going to want to go into space, which is needed, I mean, I, I worry profoundly about my children, about what's happening in society around mental health. And it, to me, it just seems so incongruent. We have this so-called um, intelligence and now artificial intelligence, yet we don't have emotional intelligence and we are living in a society that seems to be fragmenting and breaking in front of our very goddamn eyes not to mention the climate and we focus on things that in one end don't actually matter right now because what's the point of having ai if you can't have healthy humans (laughs) and it seems that we just are kind of blindly skipping over the fact that the young people of today and I sound so old by saying that, but hey, I'm not a young person of today. I would have no idea of the pressures that they have to face with social media and the rules mm-hmm. of the game and that tribal norms that I talked about, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day. And here's also for work and 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 the whole overwhelm of communication, et cetera, and expectation and that switched onness. I mean, in my day, you had a computer that sat at the, com- at the company and a mobile if you were lucky. No WhatsApp, no Slack, no Discord, no text, no Facebook. <laughs> I mean, God, people can get you from every angle. Fax machines. Oh, I, I did. I, I used to fax CVs in my first job. Um, but there's no rules of engagement around when you don't have to respond either. Because if a client WhatsApps you, you know, what's the difference? Can you ignore that? Like you, you can't because it's not the same as an email, is it? But they've come into your private space. But what's the what's the rule around that? It's not clear. Whereas a client emailing you at eleven o'clock at night, not that my clients do any of this. <laughs> I work with gorgeous clients. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, what? The? <laughs> but also, I find that we're not off either. So I'm terrible, Minter. I'm addicted to this thing. I know I am. I I, I am. Many, many of us are. And so I think mental health and it's it's a it's it's a societal question actually, and our our whole um, foundations around what is being a good society, what is being a good member and doing your part. So I've noticed something interesting just for my own personal observations around trends in society, remembering my ology back in the day. And it seems the more and more we become advanced and we, we develop more systems and techniques and work at a faster pace, it becomes an I conversation. These are my needs. These are my this is my way I want to experience my world. This is my way I want to be your employee. I have a hamster on a Thursday that needs walking. I must go home and do that. Obviously, I'm being very flippant on purpose. But I think the expectations of the I have massively become inflated compared to the needs of the we. 
And I think in older society, you looked after your neighbours. I'm, you know, going to sound like a Hovers advert here, but on purpose. Mm. You, you know, you had that village takes it takes a village to raise a child. You'd know who your who the elderly were. You'd walk down. The, I come from a village, but you'd walk down the street, and and there'd be a sense a sense of community. Not always beautiful, because that's also suffocating, and people can be horrible. And let's not mm. be Disney here. But mm. I think in society, we were a slower pace, and we cared greater for the we. Whereas now, it's all about the I. And that to me is just not a healthy way. It's a, it's a, the absolute detriment of the we because the I is like all singing or dancing. But fundamentally, going back to my piece about being at the end of the day, we're animalistic beings. We are a tribal thing. <laughs> like humans live in tribes. So what's happened in our society at work, at home, that's made the tribe less important? And, and that we seem to not be able to live in one tribe as well. I mean, it seems the, the more the world is going into economic difficulties and uh, the tribes are all fractioning. What was interesting about COVID that I observed, because it was a pandemic and no one in their lifetime had ever gone through this. So it was a leveler, not for everybody. I mean, as I said, some people had the most horrific COVID times. I was lucky I didn't. But so I speak from that bias. But everyone came together because suddenly all bets were off. Everyone was equal. If something fucked up, excuse my language, it wasn't your fault. Yeah, because these rules are, are are unprecedented. If we use the word unprecedented and pivot anymore, I think we'll all switch off. However, roll of eyes. Oh my lord! Um, but it was a real kind of galvanizing, community-inducing. Like remember, you know, if you look back now, it's kind of great. You know, the bashing of the pans <laughs> on your roads. Um, but I met neighbors I'd never met before because we went out and bashed our pans on a Thursday, mm. and it was a great sense of in it together. We won't talk about the government, hey, but there was a great sense from the from the the country of being in it together. And then what's happened with the economic challenges that have come hot on the heels and all the horrific war that's going on everywhere, not just the ones that are reported, people have become fearful and it's gone back to survivalism. And so therefore what we're seeing in the world is I think people aren't as collective, aren't as community-led, aren't as supportive. And that's to me a real shame that we've lost what came through, the benefit that COVID brought us around that community spirit and helping. So for example, Felix and I would never have met if COVID hadn't happened. Not that I'd wish that in the world, don't get me wrong. But we met because I helped him behind the scenes and without any expectations. And and then we just sat, somehow met. <laughs> and then we helped each other and it was lovely. And, and that would never have happened in business as usual. And that's, that's sad. So I think there's a piece around mental health of going back to the we. Yeah, of who's in my tribe? Am I knocking on their door, both professionally and personally? Have I checked on my neighbor? Am I giving time to my child when they talk to me? Because that's, again, these bloody things take your attention all the time, don't they? And I, I funny enough, I walked my dog this morning and I was very aware. And don't get me wrong, I was doing emails and stuff, but the children, I'm on a school route. Nearly every child who walked past me was like this. Sure. What a way to live. That's, you know, so I just think there's some fundamentals that we want to get back into the world, not to sound too preachy, but it's this is how big this problem is. You know, the, there isn't a quick, oh, if you do this, it'll be OK. It's it's systemic. And that's the challenge. And it's only getting well, worse. That's the challenge. So itching in my seat, uh, Sally, because, um, well, my next book is going to be about the society issue here we're talking uh -huh. about. And uh, I recently wrote a fairly long form article entitled who are we what do we mean what do we mean by we and i feel and my article also talks about who am i and in the i piece 
and the we piece, we've got both wrong today. Because you you talk to them, they will say, well, I, yeah, I don't know, I'm part of a community. But the first piece is that they're actually not really aware of themselves at a deeper level. They've cast aside things like risk and pain and death, topics I don't want to talk about, talk about reality. So the version of I is inaccurate and, and will lead to other problems. And then the version of we is inaccurate too, because they think they belong to tribes, but they've never done the hard question. What does it mean by we? Mm. And the easy example is, well, um, I'm a fan of a football team from the North called Liverpool. <laughs> and uh, so I'm a fan and I meet another fan from Liverpool. Oh, we're fans of Liverpool. Great. What does that mean? Mm. Well, it means we follow 11 red, clad uh, football players around on a on a pitch and we we with verve and excitement and enthusiasm okay good and how does that differentiate ourselves from manchester united fan or whatever well th that's another set by the way red of course but um you know how different are we really and and so the version of we that we are carrying around are these sort of amorphous untethered rather large and and certainly not grounded in mm. a commonality, a true commonality, deeper commonality. So first of all, you don't know who you are. How can you belong to any group? Anyway, um, next year, 19, uh, 2024, will be the 100th anniversary of a rather remarkable book that wasn't, it was written in Russian, wasn't published in Russian for 60 years, and was called We in oh. 1924. Muy in, in Russian. And, um, and We is a tremendously interesting book to read and so apropos and current. Sally, as expected, it was bound to be a fun conversation. Could have gone on for longer. The, you, your ideas of the pie pie and the professional personal, uh, the, this notion of range, uh, dealing with jeopardy, uh, emotional intelligence and uh, effectiveness. So many interesting things. How can someone track you down, Sally? Oh. Uh, get 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 your material hire you as uh, an appropriate <laughs> high stakes leadership coach uh, and follow follow your uh, workings oh well, thank you first thing i just say how much i've enjoyed being your guest uh what a wonderful conversation and, and thank you for having me um so my website is just sallyhenderson.co.uk. You can find a lot about my work across mentoring, away days, motivational speaking. I've also created something called the Learning Hub on there, which is all free. And it's all about um, learning courses I've created, uh, a two-year vault of walk and talks, interviews with leaders, podcasts, of which this will be on, Minda, uh, that I've been a guest on, just there to help and educate so sallyhenderson.co.uk and also LinkedIn, Sally K. Henderson. Wunderbar. Many, many thanks, Sally. Uh, may we one day uh, meet IRL in real life. Indeed. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. So a really heartfelt thanks for listening to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show, please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast service, as ever, ratings and reviews are the real currency of podcasts. And if you're really inspired, I'm accepting donations on patreon.com forward slash Minterdial. You'll find the show notes with over 2,100 blog posts on Minterdial.com on topics ranging from leadership to branding, tech and marketing tips. Check out my documentary film and books, including the last one, the second edition, of artificial empathy, putting heart into business and artificial intelligence. 
that came out in April 2023. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.